Hello there, you're listening to Context, giving you a biblical perspective on issues of race, inequality, gender, abortion, culture, and so much more with Temba Lamini. Hello and welcome to Context. If this is your first time here, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this video or listening to the podcast, consider subscribing and click the notification bell so that you don't miss out on Context. I know that we're going to have a great time learning and equipping so that we can live our best life for Jesus in our context. Today we are answering a very important question in our time, which I do believe is one of the apologetic questions that the church ought to be wrestling with and that is the issue of human sexuality and the whole debate around transgender homosexuality and so on and we've brought to you a brother who loves Jesus Christ who I believe is an expert on this particular subject and is actually one of the few voices within South Africa at least that I've come across that is brave enough to grab this bull by the throat unlike so many of us who would rather stay away from this subject completely. And I've got with the pastor Alexander Fenter. Alexander has been teaching ministry since January 1975 when he became a church planter and a pastor. And he has planted and pastored churches in Zimbabwe, Cape Town, Johannesburg and Soweto. He immigrated to the Vineyard Movement to work with John Wimber in Southern California in 1982 and was part of the Vineyard Church plant in Johannesburg. Alexander's passion is to make the treasures of the kingdom available to all who want to follow Jesus, praying that God will use them for spiritual formation toward Christ-likeness in order to equip people for effective life and ministry in God's kingdom. His personal life mission is to follow Jesus and make followers of him learning to live a life of love just as Jesus loved us. And he's been a Christian for way longer than I've been alive. And he was a Christian since 1968, if I I stand to be corrected. And uh, he's been pastoring since 1975. Alexander, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Timber. Appreciate the invitation to be part of this show. And also greetings to all the listeners and the viewers. And may the Lord bless our time together. Awesome, awesome. And I think we're going to just dive right into the meat of today's discussion. And we're going to just say, what is human sexuality? Okay, <clears throat> it, there is a long uh, qualified answer, and then there is also the short answer. But uh, from a cultural um, human wisdom point of view, there is a certain understanding, and from a biblical theology of human sexuality, there is a certain understanding. So just briefly to say, as I understand it, human sexuality <clears throat> is God's gift to human beings right. that is fundamentally part of his differentiated image. In other words, from Genesis, when it says, when God said, let us make the human being, Ha'adam, the human, in our image and in our likeness, male and female created he them. So biblically, human sexuality is the fire of God 
the fire of God's passionate love within, within us as differentiated image of God as male and female. And uh, so the Hebrew from Genesis chapter 1 is God made Ha'adam and God sexed him. Right. The one was divided into two, male and female, so that the two, the sexual pair, become one. And that attraction, that fire, that energy between the, the male and the female for completion, for union and communion, is human right. sexuality. And in this age in which we live, it is a gift for, for love, for procreation, for pleasure, for intimacy. But ultimately, it's just a parable to teach us to love purely as God loves in the age to come. Because in our resurrection bodies, we will no longer be married or given in marriage. The genital uh, sexuality falls away because it is fulfilled in its ultimate original purpose of creation. And that is the pure, perfected love of God, where we don't lust. To lust is to use people for our purposes, to use people as objects to satisfy our desires, our agenda. But love is to celebrate people as the unique image of God to, to draw out the best potential that God has placed within them. So, yeah, a long answer, but the human sexuality is God's gift to us for love and intimacy in human relationships. Sure. Awesome. What a, a helpful explanation. And now, you know, within our context, this whole thing has been politicized. Maybe we need to unpack it a little bit more. Now, when we talk about the, the, the identity politics, how does human sexuality feature in that debate? Okay, Timber, <clears throat> a very important question. So to answer that question, I think I just need to step back a little and say that the human understanding of our sense of self, the issue of identity, has evolved in recent history. And when I say recent history, I would say that uh, essentially from the Renaissance Reformation through the Enlightenment period, human rationalism, through to the postmodern self. And there is a, a, a very important uh, philosopher, theologian in, in um, Scotland by the name of Carl Truman, who's written a helpful book and works a lot in this area called The Emergence of the Modern Self. So essentially, we have moved away from traditionally a biblical understanding that God identifies us in creation as male and female and in new creation as his sons and daughters and we have moved right. um, away from the uh, our sense of self to self-identifying initially through rationalism but now in the modern self through my feelings what i feel sure about sure. myself within myself has become the authority by which i identify myself no longer sure. An outside objective um, truth that identifies me. So, just as an illustration, the way God created us is that uh, a husband and a wife come together, and then there is a child that's born, 
But when, when the wife is pregnant, they say, it's a child. We have a baby coming. <clears throat> then when the right. child is born, they say, it's a girl or it's a boy. They identify the child. Right. Then thirdly, they name the child. So first, it's a human <laughs> who's, who is identified as boy or girl. And then they give it a name, a, a male name or a female oh. name. And so even in, even biologically in creation we are not we don't self-identify we we are identified by parents by god and by others in that way so the whole phenomena the postmodern phenomena the modern self is all about what i feel my preferences my desires my yearnings and longings that to be authentic the philosophy of postmodernism is to be authentic self. I must be true to my feelings, regardless sure. of any outside objective authority or, or, or truth out there, because there's no real truth out there. It's just what I feel is true for me is true for me. And what you feel is true for you is true for me. So the self has become the authority now to define the self. And then that is politicized around what is now called identity politics. So um, sure. people who struggle with their sexual identity and also their, with gender dysphoria, um, understandably want to have their sense of respect and acceptance in society <laughs> for who they are and how they feel they are. And so it has now become a matter of an ideological fight for human rights, for justice, and for my right as a homosexual, my right as a transsexual. And um, then that, that right, um, that ideological activism for the human rights, just as we talk about the issue of racial identity, and human rights that must be politically legislated to to stamp to stop racism damaging people likewise now self identifying in our human sexuality as l lgbtq lesbian gay bisexual transsexual queer or questioning and pansexual fluid sexual there are so many uh, permutations of labels or identities that have been articulated and embraced that it's actually increasingly a, a bewildering world of new language, this whole field of human right. sexuality. And it's been completely right. redefined in the postmodern sexual revolution that we're living through. So in the 1960s, we had... Uh, after the war, the hippie movement and the sexual revolution of women's liberation and burn the bra. <laughs> but we are living through a, 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 another sexual revolution that is far more radical, far more fundamentally changing the popular understanding of human nature, that we define ourselves by what I feel, I think, I prefer, my desire is what I believe. Don't tell me anything, because sure. if you do, you're a bigot, 
you're a homophobe, you're a racist. Um, my truth right. is real to me and my truth. So is a complete loss of any outside objective truth and authority. And it's become uh, politicized. So people's identity fundamentally is tied up. That's why this, this topic is so painful and emotive for LGBTQ people right. because of the deeply held belief that this is who I actually am. And if you question this, sure. you're questioning my identity and you're questioning me. And of course, biblically, right, right. that's it. Biblically, the Bible would ask a lot of questions uh, around that because it's it's been an evolving, right. progressive, ideological, and philosophic development in the last 400 years that has changed the sense of self to what Carl Truman right. calls the emergence of the modern self, um, which is um, now an ideological construct that is, sure. that is politicized. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense because you know the idea that it's a it's a it's it's an ideology. You know, it it also has an undertone of the fact that it's um, it's not real in a sense of biological as much as it is real in how people think. And so, I think myself. So, I mean, you know, I think therefore I am. You know, type type um, um, approach to to human to human sexuality, and I, and I think that the the question begs then. You know, is there such a thing as a gay gene? Is there such a thing that I am biologically created gay, for instance? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, that that of course is the. It's part of the crux of the matter. And the debate is LGBTQ congenital, in other words, right. from birth, um, even genetic, or is it a, a process of social formation? Um, and right. the research, scientific, even scientific research itself shows that there is no so-called gay or lesbian gene that congenitally sure. or biologically determines that we are that in our identity as we grow up. There is a lot of research around right. this, but there is no research that, sh that shows this and one can point to, to various research. But having said that, Timber, um, we have to acknowledge and say that, that this uh, um, issue is a, is a deeply subjective, sensitive struggle for a number of people in terms of their human sexuality sure. and their self-understanding, their sense of self. And that we right. have to be very careful how we use terms, very compassionate and sure. understanding and how we engage because the church has come across as completely judgmental and dismissive, even right. hating you know, homophobic, as in saying, you you know, these people are going to hell, which I tell you, Timber, that has inflicted so much pain on the LGBT sure. community and people who struggle with gender dysphoria and their sexual identity, that we need to repent and apologize sure. on behalf of the church and especially as pastors and say, 
that is not right. So, so I want to, the way I understand Jesus and the Jesus of history, he was an incredibly compassionate, understanding, insightful human being who gave radical welcome to the unaccepted in his, in the marginalized in his, in his society. I mean, he even was known to say he was, he partied with sinners, drunkards, prostitutes, and tax collectors. But he said to the tax collector, although I, I eat in your home, Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, but don't steal from the poor. He said to the prostitute sure. in John chapter 8, who was thrown at his feet, and the Pharisees wanted to kill her and condemn her, as Moses said, stone her to death. And Jesus defended her, in fact, and protected her dignity and said, the one who's without any sin, you can throw the first stone. And they all left. And then Jesus said to her, yep. where are your accusers? And she looked up. She said, sure. I don't see any of my accusers. And then he said, so go and sin no more. So Jesus gave sure. a radical welcome to everyone of radical acceptance and warm engagement, giving understanding and affirmation of human dignity but at the same time upheld the ethics of Judaism, sure. God's, God's kingdom ethics, by challenging behavior sure. and the belief behind behavior that justifies a lifestyle of prostitution or a lifestyle of ex sure. exploitative tax collection. So Jesus did not sure. endorse by by accepting people radically and warmly, even eating with them and affirming sure. them as human beings, he did not endorse either their ideology or their behavior, their lifestyle choices. Sure. In fact, he, at the appropriate moment, he challenged those. And so we're going to hold this sure. intention, the radical welcome of Jesus in love, but that love equally is discriminating in terms of truth and untruth in terms of behavior, in terms of ideology and belief, in terms of lifestyle choices. Sure. So the sure. short answer. I think that's so helpful. Uh, it's yeah. not congenital. <laughs> right. No, awesome. No, no, I'm enjoying the engagement and, and feel free to, to, to elaborate and go deeper as, as a moment requires, because I do think it is a topic that so many people with good intentions have inadvertently, as you've correctly pointed out, caused hurt. And I can speak even for myself in my own life that many, many years ago when me and my wife were dating, she had a friend who was part of the LGBTQ community. And uh, they were friends, obviously, but every time I would see them together, oh, he would be within our company. He felt as though the way, it wasn't what I said, he went to her and said, the way Temba looks at me, he looks at me with an element of disdain or disgust and so on. And for me, I was surprised at that, but I was not aware of just not, it's not about, not about me just saying what I'm, what, what, like saying like uh, offensive things. My language was, you can call it clean, but the way I... I looked at I looked at him at that stage. There was an element of like you, your whole package is a sin. So in other words, you know, I look at you with that thing of like this is just you as a person are beyond redemption. 
something I wouldn't do for somebody who's in an adulterous situation, something I wouldn't do for somebody who's an alcoholic and so on and so on. You know, there was an there was a, there was a stage where where I had to repent before God and say, Lord, forgive me, you know, for this. Forgive me for how I have engaged with somebody of of an LGBTQ community. And that's just my anecdotal story. But ultimately, as a church-wide community, it's almost like we felt the, compel- the compulsion to always remind them and say, hey, by the way, you're going to hell. And I guess it does kind of link us into one of the things that we are planning on engaging in is the whole thing of when that person walks into your home or you meet them or they come to your congregation, what should be a godly approach? How should we love them, both holding up truth and also holding up grace intention. Good. Um, appreciate the question. And in terms of practical engagement, this is very important. So my response would be, is that, um, let me give you this illustration, is that if I'm going to carry across to you, let's say 20 kilograms of truth, from my side to your side, I must build a bridge, relational equity of 30 kilograms, so that I have sure, built sure. a relationship with you to the degree whereby you, you've engaged with me, you know me, I accept you, and that actually there is enough goodwill and respect to begin to speak what I would understand to be the truth about this issue or that issue. If if I sure. so, on the one hand, when people come into our into our environment as churches, even when we engage with people, as you gave the anecdote of um, the person um, who was a friend um, from the LGBT community, um, we have to really, as followers of Jesus, give the the radical welcome and acceptance that Jesus gave to everyone as the very image of God. Jesus gave dignity and respect and recognition to people up front as a given. And then engaging with people when it was appropriate, as and when, he spoke truth to help set people free. So for me, I always say that the church should be a warm, welcoming environment to anyone and everyone who comes into our environment. Um, and that includes every single human being on the face of the earth, Muslims, Hindus, whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, as then we get to know those people and we actually build relationship with them and engage with them, they may want to, they may love the environment and the church. They may want to be, come and worship there more, but then they may want to become members and start belonging and joining. So as you go through the progressive development of engagement with people who engage with us and we engage with them, having given them the, the radical acceptance of Jesus and the warm welcome of Jesus. Sure. When it's appropriate, where there's enough equity of relationship and trust, then we start carrying truth sure. across that by saying, let me hear your story. Let me hear where you come from. Tell me your life journey. And as and when we can, we start then engaging and saying, if they want to follow Jesus or if they are followers of Jesus, then let's obey what Jesus taught. You know, I 
as a sure. pastor. I was a pastor for eight years in a, in a vineyard church in, in North Riding area, and we named the church Following Jesus. And that was the sure. name of our church, Following Jesus. And I used to say often to our, the congregation on a Sunday morning, I used to say, are you followers of Jesus? And they used to say, yeah. Sure. And then I said, but then do you do what Jesus taught? Do you obey his teachings if you're sure. his follower? Do you do what Jesus did the way he did it? Do you love who Jesus sure. loved the way he loved him? If you're a follower of Jesus, sure. then actually be who Jesus is to the society. And sure. so Jesus engaged people with truth. He did not compromise on, on, on um, ethical truth and objective reality that sure. God has built into creation. Reality is something we run into when we are wrong. Sure. Reality is something that we bash our heads against when we have different ideologies or different beliefs that lead to different choices and, and behaviors. What Jesus taught and lived represents God's reality. Um, he says, I've come right. to give life and life to the full. I've not come to diminish life or take away from life. I come to give God's kind of life to everyone who responds and, and believes. And that is the kind of sentiment we need to have as we radically welcome LGBTQ people into our environment, build relationship with them, get to know them, um, and then at the appropriate time in the stages of relational equity and trust, we start hearing their stories, we start then feeding back what we are hearing, and if necessary, begin to challenge them in discipleship to Jesus about this area of their life and that area of their life. As we do with all people, if a person comes into our environment who's a con artist and a financial um, um, fraud, and they become a follower of Jesus. At some point in the journey, we will start challenging them <laughs> about their financial life. Sure. And so we right. challenge people about their sexual life, their financial life, their sense of self, their ideological beliefs about sure. um, this, that, or the next thing. So it's a progressive developmental journey that has built relational equity that is the bridge across which we carry God's truth that sets us free. Jesus said, if you are really sure. my disciples, then you will hold to my teachings. And if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free from your complexes, from your neuroses, from your brokenness, from your confusion, sure. from all the stuff in life, not just in human sexuality, but in every dimension of, of human life, you will be set free. So that journey of speaking truth in love comes incrementally in appropriate um, um, contexts at certain stages of relational development. And then people are left to make sure. their own choices because if people then stumble, um, like the rich man who came to Jesus, and, and, and said, what must I do? And Jesus said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. The guy looked at Jesus and he made his decision. He said, he said no ways. <laughs> I'm not going to give away everything and I'm not going to come and follow you. So people make their own decision as to when they disengage or adjust their relationship around truth that is communicated.
Um, so I hope that helps. No, it maybe. helps a lot. It helps a lot. You know, I appreciate. Yeah. No, you, you, if you want to add, feel free to, to. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. If I could just add one more thing. To be, yeah. to, to, to be a bit more practical, timber for the listeners in terms of, let's say, Christians and a church environment, um, is that um, <clears throat> we should we should. So I do. Um, teachings on this and if anyone is interested timber they can go into youtube and search alexander fenter and then my channel will come up and if they go into my channel i have a, a number of different topics with numerous teachings around different topics but on human sexuality <clears throat> there are talks around um, lgbtq and the bible basically hermeneutics what does the bible say about lgbtq practice and lifestyle choices and then another talk on lgbtq in the church how do we pastorally engage with lgbtq people so they are get quite specific and quite practical and people can watch these talks online but um, in terms of um, attendance more than welcome in terms of bullying relationship absolutely because everyone's made in the image of god and we must love and and come to know everyone in terms of becoming members absolutely in terms of baptism in water then in terms of ministry engagement and then in terms of leadership so there's a progressive incremental journey of engagement in local church and when it starts coming to certain steps that are publicly symbolic in terms of of carrying public trust that's when the the increase of truth engagement begins around discipleship to Jesus and questions around um, their beliefs and choices and practices in terms of human sexuality. So as an example, we would not allow a practicing homosexual into leadership in the church. That would publicly right. model something that would undermine the integrity of God's um, revelation in Scripture as creation design. God's creation design is whether we like it or not, human beings are created as a differentiated sexual pair, which is the image of God, male and female, the binary male and female. And I know the word binary sure. is almost a swear word in some ideological LGBTQ yep. communities because their agenda is to disrupt, quote unquote, sexual stereotypes i mean that is the overt stated agenda even of government the government education policy of of the curriculum for sex education cse one of the three points is to disrupt gender stereotypes and at one level we can understand what they're trying to say at another level it's really dangerous ideological stuff so uh, god's binary creation design of male and female <clears throat> is what we have to uphold and violating that actually is what um, Hebrew ethics Hebrew uh, ethics in the book of Leviticus calls a toheva uh, um, it is right. detestable to God it's an abomination to God and so when right. male and when male and male engage in sexual union 
and female and female engage in sexual union. It fundamentally destroys God's creation design and therefore God's image on earth. And what we image to creation as God's image bearers differentiated as male and female in a love relationship to love each other is then undermined and destroyed and God takes that person. So that kind sure. of <clears throat> engagement of truth and dialogue happens incrementally as people get go from attendance to regular worship to bullying relationship to belonging in a home group to engaging in forms of ministry and then to engaging in leadership training and becoming leaders. So anyone who's practicing the gay lifestyle in terms of regular same-sex genital engagement, we would have to draw a line as we go along in that journey. The same as we draw with um, Christians who come into our church, which has happened to me as a pastor numerous times, in fact, who are living together and have never formally married because they were previously divorced and they were hurt through, through marriage. And so they don't believe in marriage and they just live together. And I say, no, 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 you can't live together. If you are a follower of Jesus, obey his teachings and, and make a formal right. commitment of marriage. Enter the covenant of marriage as God designed. So it's not selective ethics. It's the consistent ethical application across the board to heterosexuals, right. in terms of all kinds of sexual behavior. Um, it's the same. So. Again, I'm speaking too long, Timber. I must let you <laughs> engage. No, no, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it because you're shedding so much clarity on, on quite a, a, a thorny issue. And I love the way you say we need to follow Jesus and that should be our ultimate goal. And I think what we often do is that we focus a lot just on the red letters. But I want us to come back to, to what he taught, the red letters part, where what Jesus Christ actually spoke. But I think your emphasis also is where historically as believers, we have somehow tended to show a little bit of de-emphasis in the black letters. How did Jesus Christ go about loving? How, where did he go? Where did he eat? How did he engage with people? Not so much, you know, not that what he said is not important, is of supreme importance but following him also doesn't doesn't just mean we do we, what he said we also do what he did you know the way he did it how did he love people where did he go and i think even as as we will be heading towards wrapping up our session i want us to dive a little bit deeper into that in the, our practices as churches where we can sort of engage on you know like where we've been historically where it's is completely non-welcoming, non-affirming, then the, the, the one in between, which is the welcoming but not affirming, and then the other opposite extreme of welcoming and affirming. I do want us to get more specific around the issue of whether homosexuality in and of itself is a sin. Is it a sin, like, like how you, I mean, um, I think you've, you, you alluded to it, but uh, just for the clarity of those listening and watching, is there an element of that I can't get out of it? We've addressed the aspect that there is no gay gene, but the challenge is then there's an element of either nurture or I've just grown to struggle to, to love a, a woman, for example. So I am more drawn to men. 
Now, the orientation itself, is that a sin? And I think if you can just take us through that. Okay, good. <clears throat> Again, another very important aspect of this um, conversation that you are focusing on, and just to say flatly, outright, the orientation is not a sin. I mean, that would be... <clears throat> That would be so damning for people who struggle <clears throat> inwardly with questions around their sexuality, <clears throat> their gender, and not only in relation to human sexuality, <clears throat> but people struggle inwardly with, with questions in different dimensions of personality and of life. Sure. But we're talking about human sexuality. So the congenital genetic aspect, scientifically, the, by far, the persuasion of all the scientific research and papers is there is no um, gay gene or transsexual sure. gene. That it is an interaction of um, psycho-emotional social factors in early stage development that then at some point leads the, the, the boy or the girl to a decision to believe what they feel and think and prefer in terms of their, their sexuality and make decisions around that and then come out and begin to talk it and then believe it sure. and then begin to live it. So the orientation sure. itself and the struggle that it entails is not sinful at all. It is just a very real sure. subjective and in fact, existential human experience and struggle that, that um, people go through. And again, statistically, we have to keep in mind that it is not the majority of human population. It is still the minority in terms of percentages sure. um, of, um, of human sure. population. And there's a book by uh, an American Jewish psychiatrist um, Jeffrey Satinover, who's written a book called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. And he goes into, as a psychiatrist, he sure. goes into all the statistical analysis <clears throat> of, um, of um, the, the uh, struggle with homosexuality, etc., and looks at the percentages. And it still remains the minority. It's not the majority. So having said that, the Bible's emphasis is not on orientation, but it, 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 it's on behavior. The Bible does not in any way address overtly or condemn the subjective struggle of orientation in regard to gender or, or biological sex. It addresses and challenges behavioral choices, but behind all behavioral choices and lifestyle choices is beliefs, are beliefs. And beliefs go back sure. to ideologies, sure. how we justify and explain why I choose to do this in my life um, and to decide I can't marry, if I'm a guy, I can't marry a woman because the way I'm wired is that I must, I love a man. And that means my, sure. my, my, my love for other men has been eroticized into... Sure. Um, a way of self-understanding 
whereby I feel romantically about men and want to therefore engage sexually with men as opposed to just loving men. Sure. Uh, homophobia is essentially the fear of other men or the, or, or the fear of women, the fear of same sex. So I love other men. I don't fear other men. I'm very affectionate with men. I hug other guys <laughs> as my own brother. But it's different yeah. when to love one another as men, when that love becomes eroticized and romanticized and then sexualized, then I, I self-identify I'm gay. That process of sure. orientation and inner struggle is not sinful. It's what you do with it that becomes sinful. M morality that the Bible addresses, morality and ethics, is essentially behavior, our choices to behave. But behind it still is the beliefs. And so the Bible then challenges both the beliefs that has to do with truth or mistruth and behavior. We must be very compassionate in engaging with orientation and subjective struggles. Um, and as I said earlier, for gay people and transsexual people, they've decided this is their identity. And if you tamper with it, you're tampering with their sense of self. That's why it's so highly emotive and sensitive from a cultural point of view. Um, uh, whereas for us as Christians, the degree to which I understand the scriptures and Jesus of Nazareth and early church tradition when it comes to sexual, human sexual ethics, is that um, I can't go along with the with both the ideological justification of the chosen identity and therefore the lifestyle practice. Um, I would then at some point engage with it as sensitively as I can with respect, giving human dignity, but speak the truth as I understand it. That's not being homophobic. That's just being honest and true. But if I become reactionary, prejudicial, um, etc. Then that is just being wrongly discriminatory in a homophobic way that people experience as rejection and hatred, which is not the way of Jesus. That's very far from the way of Jesus. So once again, orientation yeah. is a big issue, and it's complex with multiple factors, and the Bible does not address it overtly but puts emphasis on behavior and choices. Therefore, people in our churches that are struggling and working with their orientation and sexual or gender dysphoria are not sinful. They, it's people who are practicing the lifestyle, engaging in same-sex genital intimacy that then would be challenged and addressed by scripture. So, yeah, and, and, and I think it, that's helpful. And I, and and I want to ask this question in layman's terms, where the whole complexity around orientation, actual practicing, and then the internal struggle. And I want us to bring in, you know, feel free to use other uh, metaphorical um, anecdotes to try and crystallize this point. But for instance, you have Jesus Christ saying, if you think of, you know, like when you say, I'm not committing adultery, and he says, you think of, you, you've just thought of, of committing adultery 
with the other woman and you say, I'm not an adulterer, he says, well, you're just as bad. You, you've actually committed adultery in your mind with that person. So now there you have Jesus Christ dealing, you know, with our inward thoughts of how his word and how uh, the Holy Spirit and how God penetrates beyond the tangible. And it goes to the, to the stuff that is invisible and that is inward in us. But I would imagine in that case, when I think of, for example, uh, of, let's say, for example, committing adultery with another woman, for example, that when that comes to my attention, there's an element that one, obviously, I would not have acted on it, but I still do believe there's a moral obligation for me or there is a, there's a holiness imperative or there's a desire for me not to wallow in the mud and say oh lord sorry forgive me you know that my, my thought wandered off in an unhelpful way there i repent before you and i'm just saying taking that very same same analogy to the homosexual um orientation debate that when somebody is saying you know i'm orientated in this way you know um now it's one thing not to act on it but it's also one thing to not act, but affirm it internally in a sense that, like what you're saying, there's an element of it being fused with identity. That now it is part of, of who I am. I'm just not going to act on the stuff. This is my struggle. But inwardly, I don't see a need to ask for forgiveness each time the tuggings that are contrary to what 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 God designed me to do are actually uh, provoking me too. Now again, very helpful that you put your finger on on that aspect of Jesus. So I would say that those that to dif- distinguish between from a gay point of view, the the longings and feelings and preference for intimacy with same sex engagement to complete my sense of self to love and belong Um, to distinguish between that and the sexual fantasy um, element that Jesus highlighted and put his finger on uh, is important and to say that Jesus did address the matters of the heart the thoughts of the mind and in that sense he did challenge and address our inner conditioning um, so that if I in my mind and in my heart entertain uh, the possibilities of sexual engagement with a woman then it is equal to the act, the outward act of acting it out because I've already started down that path in my heart. So the intention and the meditation of the heart is actually the same in Jesus's mind as literally acting it out in your behavior. So sure. I worked for years on staff with, a, with an ex-gay guy who was our worship leader. And he said that he, um, he, he, he came to know Jesus, left the gay lifestyle, married a, a lady in the congregation and they have two children. But I got to know him, and he said, still, through all the years, whenever he feels psycho-emotionally vulnerable and, in a sense, escapes into sexual self-comfort, the fantasies are homosexual still and not heterosexual, although he was married 
and had sure. two children. So the, the deep sure. inner sense of wiring or conditioning or orientation or whatever is there. And they would say, that's my identity. And I can be celibate and pure as a homosexual by not engaging in sexual fantasy as Jesus taught with same-sex sure. um, 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 intimacy. So they would draw a distinction and still defend their identity as, as gay. And, and my response is to that question is to say <clears throat> that if homosexuals, uh, the gay or, or transsexual community are celibate in terms of sexual integrity of not fantasy and engagement with that drivenness of lust to cross the line into practice and engagement in, in relationships that are erotic and romantic that lead to genital engagement, then yes, participate in church life and membership as long as you are working with what you are struggling with, as well as I'm working with what I struggle with, as well as another person's working with what they struggle with, let's say, in another area of their human personhood. As long as we are working with who we are and not actually engaging in this internal fantasy world that begins to drive us towards choices and outward behavior that becomes immoral, then we can actually do a lot together in terms of ministry and the work of the kingdom. And there's no judgment. But it's when that not happening then we have to help one another to take responsibility and not to cross the line. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And maybe even as we, we try and, and wrap up the session, you know, to take us through then the church pastoral practice around this issue, which I know we've been touching in, in bits and pieces there and there, you know, and how do how should pastors engage with this stuff? Here's a homosexual or uh, transgender Okay, that's another topic on on, on itself, I guess, you know, and I'm starting to include transgender in there. But here's this person who's self-identifying in this particular way, and they're walking through the doors of the church. What should be, what are the options, you know, or what has been done in the past which was unhelpful on either extreme, and what is the more appropriate God-glorifying pastoral approach to it? So as a little brief framework that you referred to earlier. Traditionally, the churches were non-welcoming and non-affirming of gay people, both in terms of their ideological beliefs and their behavior. <clears throat> then it swung to welcoming and affirming, which is generally the gay church right. or gay Christians or gay theology that both welcomes and affirms the ideological justifications or explanations and the behavior but then the, the radical middle is to be welcoming and non-affirming um, in terms of the ideological behavior. Uh, and that middle position is, as I said, it's a progressive engagement relationally with LGBTQ people who enter our environment by building relationship and then at the appropriate time beginning to talk about truth. And the markers would be Baptism and water, if people want to become uh, publicly declare that they are disciples and followers of Jesus, and then we would ask questions about, okay, in following Jesus, what about this in your lifestyle? What about that in your lifestyle? What about this? 
and then of course would be the next step would be also baby dedications, adult baptism, baby dedications. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't dedicate babies publicly in church that are adopted by gay parents because that kind of ceremony right. would give the body language that we endorse gay marriage. Um, um, yeah. But a baby, sure. if anyone asks me just to bless a baby because they're made in God's image, I will bless them, probably in their home privately, sure. just for the sake of the child. But there is baby, then there is communion. Um, everyone is welcome at the communion table. You have a, a closed table in traditional churches and Catholic churches, and you have open table in evangelical and charismatic churches. Jesus practiced open feasts, even with sinners, and sure. broke bread even with sinners. So we say everyone, everyone is welcome to the table at the Lord's Supper. But if there is a, a, an unresolved ethical issue in a person's life that is known to the leadership, and the person's under discipline in a process of restoration, then they behoves them not to partake of, of, of the Lord's body and the Lord's blood until that is resolved. That would be the only exception. Sure. And then it, of course, comes to leadership. And I would say anyone practicing the gay lifestyle would not be accepted into any level of leadership in any ministry in the church. But people who are to sure. identify as gay, but are not in a relationship and are not um, practicing the lifestyle um, and are celibate with sexual integrity, then I would say they could be leaders in the church. So that is some guidelines pastorally as to how I would engage. I hope that helps. <laughs> No, no, that, that helps a lot. And I think the only part that I, I think I, I need, you know, I, and I would imagine many of the listeners would struggle with, though, is the, the the one who identifies, you know. And I think, again, it is one thing to say, I struggle, for example, you know, with, with, with these emotional things. And obviously there's a process of me, you know, gradually sort of, uh, all of us are on a, on a sanctification journey, whether you care or not, you know, we're all on that. Now, the, the issue of, you know, the one they identify, because I think that's one of the, 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 the challenges of the, of the whole way this thing is packaged, that, are you, you know, is the identifying simply because of how we use language, you know, to, 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 to speak about that? Or is it identifying by virtue of an element of conviction that this is me, you know, you know, I am actually embracing the fact that I am, you know what I mean? I think just to, to create, uh, to draw some distinctions there to help us, you know, be able to have proper handles around this, this, um, this thing. Yeah, so, <clears throat> so um, um, the language is important, and the further we are in the journey with LGBTQ people in our churches, then the issue of them self-identifying publicly in their language, I am gay, I am lesbian, right. even that then becomes a point of dialogue as to... Right. What's behind it and why? Because there is the ex-gay movement. There is what is called 
um, pejoratively called gay therapy, uh, gay change counseling that is outlawed in Canada and now being outlawed um, or criminalized in England, in the UK, and in, in, in certain Western nations. So um, um, there are many people whose testimonies are on YouTube who were gay and said, I was gay, I was practicing in the lifestyle with a lover, et cetera, et cetera. And then now for certain reasons among, I met Jesus and I understand it, believe his teachings and I've gone through healing um, and I'm no longer gay. They would unidentify and call themselves ex-gay. So language is important. This issue of identifying is important. And what is the basis of <clears throat> identifying? Again, from a biblical point of view, Timber, in closing, is that I think biblically you would say this issue of um, orientation and the wiring, the way people experience their wiring in their bodies and in their minds and emotions is broken creation. It's because Adam and Eve sinned right. and humanity fell, we, are, we live with broken creation. And I live with a lot of broken creation in me where my body tells me things about myself right. that if I had to believe what my body tells me, I would be in serious trouble. My mind and my emotions right. tell me things about myself that I identify as broken creation, and I'm not going to believe that. Because I have an objective, outside authority through God and his word and his community and Christian tradition that tells me something different. And which voice am I going to believe and give authority to? So I would say from a biblical point of view, the whole issue of orientation that some claim is congenital, is, 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 is genetic. And others say it is socio-psychological uh, formation in early childhood, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. The Bible would just say it, it's broken creation. And be careful right. what you believe about yourself in terms of what your mind, emotions, right. and body tells you. <laughs> it's not all true. <laughs> no, that's good. No, absolutely. That's good. And I love the fact that you mentioned that reality is what you confront when you, when you uh, disobey truth. You know, when you disagree with gravity and jump off a building, you'll meet, re you'll meet reality on the bottom floor. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. <laughs> reality no, reality no, no. Is, is what you run into when you are wrong. Reality adjusts. No, Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Thoroughly enjoy that, uh, Alexander. And I'm going to ask you just to give us your parting shots and also with some of the books that you've written, how can people get some of the, the book? You've mentioned the resources. And uh, yeah, how can people get in touch with you? Good, thank you. So look, um, Timber and all, all the viewers that will listen to this podcast, just to say my parting shot would be we desperately need to learn to love as Jesus loved the way he loved. Because people Amen. are made in, in the dignity of God's image and are, in many cases, deeply struggling, deeply broken with a lot of subjective um, 
questions, et cetera, et cetera. So my parting shot is listen deeply, love carefully, and give people dignity, and God will enable you through that quality of relating just to be Jesus to those people and to share truth, and God's truth eventually sets people free. So that would be my parting shot. And again, thank you for giving me the invitation to mention my book. So I've written four doing books, Doing Spirituality. And the subtitle is The Journey of Character Formation Towards Christlikeness. And this is the whole issue of ethics, morality, spirituality, spiritual formation to become like Jesus. And then I've written a book called Doing Church, which is all about the... The, the biblical understanding of church as God's kingdom community and the practice of how we do leadership, ministry, and missions. And then I've written a book, Doing Healing, which is the whole area of human brokenness and the ministry of the healing of the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit to people, which includes sexual healing, um, as well as physical healing, psycho-emotional healing, um, healing in all its dimensions. And then lastly, <clears throat> Timber. I worked for 12 years in Soweto under apartheid. From 1983, I engaged in Soweto and I became full-time in Soweto from 1985 onwards under the state of emergency in those days until Mandela was released from prison in 1990. And one day we should talk about doing reconciliation and social transformation right. as followers of Jesus um, in South Africa today, because South Africa still is deeply hurting with unresolved racist attitudes and a lot of pain in regard to social relationships and structural, structural inequality and imbalances. So this book, Doing Reconciliation, is about my journey of 12 years in Soweto under apartheid, working for kingdom justice in society sure. in South Africa. So those are my four doing books. <laughs> power, 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 Alexander Fenter, everyone. Uh, yeah, in fact, on my next reading reading list, I really want to grab my copy at least of the Doing Reconciliation. It would be awesome to engage on it because again, there's also another massive topic within our country and I, and I, and I do, get concerned that as believers we should have the light and shine the light for all to see. We've been given Christ, showed us reconciliation on the cross and it's so closely uh, closely connected to my heart, you know, as I follow Jesus Christ, the issue of a South Africa that is reconciled under the banner of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Alexandra Fenter, and look forward to seeing you again at some point in the show. And thank you for your wisdom that you've shared with us. And with those words, I want to say to you, Sa Laniga Until next time. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Context. We pray that today's podcast helps you live your best life for God and that you're encouraged to invite others to do the same. If today's discussion was helpful to you, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. In doing so, you will help others learn more about living for God in our context. If you would like to get in touch with us, please contact us on the details in the description. Because truly, context is everything.